chapter 4, verse 35. We've been walking through the New Testament, just wrapped up Matthew, and clearly we're in the second book of the Gospels, the book of Mark. Last week we had chapters 1 and 2, this week it'll be 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. So I'm going to preach a little bit out of these chapters, hopefully help you have some things to consider, think about, do business with before you even get there. Mark was actually the first of the Gospels to be written. Matthew and Luke followed him, took much of what he had written, and then John came several decades later. So Mark is a very interesting book in that it is the first of the synoptic, what we call the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three of them together. Mark not necessarily being an adult with Jesus, but seemed to be younger. His position of this book is that Christ is a Messiah, but a servant, and how he serves, that is what is valuable and important for us to consider. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, heading is that Jesus calms the storm. This will be behind me, you can read it with me. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Probably a story that we're familiar with. I don't know if many of us are ocean going or sea going or Sea of Galilee. I think the Sea of Galilee was a little over 65 square miles. So certainly not Lake Michigan or anything like that. But if you're up around that, an interior lake of that size, or if you're in coastal water, and uh, my opportunity to be on a destroyer, let me see some of these things. On the East Coast, I was a sailor, like a recreational sailor. There was a time or two that a squall came in so quickly that Melinda and I were bailing water. It was just the two of us. It was scary, frankly. We weren't sure exactly how we were going. We could see the land. We just couldn't get to it. And we were bailing furiously uh, as water came in. When I was on the, the bridge of a destroyer one time, 50 feet off the deck, the, the, the water surface, and almost 100 feet back, I've been on that bridge before looking out those windows 
and a wave crash right into the top of the window. That's a big wave. And so when you're out there and you see those things, and I read this story, not all of us have been fortunate to have those kinds of experiences, those death-defying experiences. But that's what these guys are in, and they're actually super afraid. And when you've got fishermen that are salty and weathered and tough, and they're afraid, there's something going on. And yet we have Jesus taking a nappy. That can't be lost on us. But as I read through that, I read that intentionally, and I wonder if you caught what I caught when I read it earlier this week. In verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. What an interesting phrase. What an interesting few words to just kind of parenthetically drop in there. They took Jesus in the boat just as he was. I've pondered that all week long. Why is that in there? Why was it added? What does it even mean? So as we look at these chapters, 3 through 7 this week, we're going to find that for some people, just as he was, was never enough. And for others, we're going to find that just as he was, was more than they could have ever imagined. We sang about it. Forever enough, Always enough, more than enough. I'll just let that be the title today. More than enough. Just as he was, more than enough. Those in his hometown didn't see him as enough. You'll read about this week. You'll read about that this week. When he went to Nazareth, all the miracles that you're going to read in these next five chapters... But when he goes to his hometown, because it's his hometown and everybody knows him. Let me say it a different way. It's common. It's just common. There's nothing special. Just common. They went to high school together, that kind of thing, right? They played soccer together in the eighth grade, you know, that kind of a deal. He couldn't do great miracles because of their unbelief. He did some things, but he couldn't do great things because it was common. Now, we don't have that Nazareth connection with Jesus. That doesn't mean anything to us. I mean, maybe we, we try to piece together, you know, the people I went to high school with or something like that. Kind of a projection, put ourselves in that place. But that doesn't mean anything to us. The application's a little thin. But what's not thin is that we're a Christian nation. This is western Indiana. He's common. Jesus is common. You hear about him easily. Nobody's smuggling Bibles. We're not whispering his name. We can fall into some little similar situation where because he becomes common, he becomes less than enough. But he's more than enough. And I know you believe it. And we sing it that way. And we found it to be true But as I ponder that simple phrase, like, just as he was, those four words, they took him across the water, got him in the boat and took him across the water, just as he was. What does that even look like? As you read through here, right here, you're going to see he calms a storm. Again, terrifying fishermen. When I was out there and I was green as grass, you know, this boot camp sailor, brand new, and you got these, we call them salty, 
You got these salty chiefs, chief petty officers. These old boys have been in the Navy longer than I'd been alive at the time. They weren't afraid of anything. They'd seen it all. The waves didn't scare them. They'd say, been there, done that, right? These guys were terrified. It's so incredible to me that they were terrified of the storm, and then the scripture, we read it, they were more terrified of Jesus when the whole thing was over. They're like, whoa, Big Daddy, where did you come from? What manner of man is this? Oh, my goodness. He's taking a nap, for goodness sakes. A nap in the stern of the boat. They had to go get him. Just as he was, that's the kind of calm he brings. He calms a storm, but he brings a calm. Are you feeling that? That calm that he brings? What are our intersections with just as he is, just as he was? He brings calm to a man that no one could control. You're going to read that in chapter 5. We'll look at it in just a second. Chapter 5, verse 1. He brings this calm to a man that cut himself. A man that ran naked among the tombs. A man that the story goes, if we read it in Matthew, and you read it in Matthew, that they tried to bind him, they tried to secure him, they tried to lock him up, they tried to control him. He just popped the things. It was like a Samson, he broke them. Samson's power was God, this man's power was demonic. I want to point something out, that Jesus, this just as he is guy, he directs the destiny of demons. Not something that you've probably discussed this week. I don't know. Raise your hand if you've had a conversation about demons this week. Okay. Andy and, Andy and Gwen. All right. You get the special gift today for being the... Yeah, right? And that's just not a common thing. Jesus directs the destiny of demons, and they have nothing to say about it. Let's read. Chapter 5. Verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. You've got to think about that. Not even with a chain. Not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he'd cry out and he'd cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance. Okay, do we have the conflict here? No one could control him. No one could subdue him. Efforts made, plans made. They like got together covertly and said, okay, I'll come this way. You come this way. We'll like throw the net. We'll wrap the chain. We got the whole deal. They're like cranking stuff out into the tombs to get him. Hiding behind tombs, waiting to jump out. Like the whole plan, right? None of it worked. You know what did work? Way off in the distance. Jesus begins walking his way. And the man with 6,000 devils that no one could control did this. 
Now, friend, that cannot be lost on us. Jesus showed up for that guy just as he was. Just as he was. Jesus didn't have a rope. He didn't have a chain. He didn't have a team of guys jump the old boy. He walks up. And when the presence of Christ, please hear what I'm saying. When the presence of Christ comes in to a space that has demonic control, you know what the demons do? Do they have a choice? No. Just as he was. He shows up. And verse, verse 6, when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouts at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to, swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what's your name? And the guy says, Legion. He says, for we're many. And listen to this, verse 10. He begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. I'm not the most supernaturally conscious dude ever. Like, I'm spiritual and stuff. I get all that. But I don't look for demons behind every bush. And sometimes that's to my fault. Like, I should actually be a bit more aware of what's going on than I am, you know. And there'll be all these things happening. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, hmm. Oh, right. Right there. There's a Satan. I forget. Right. Oh, yes. Right. Here's what I, here's what I like to do. When I get that message, when I get that awareness and that clarity, I'm sending that old boy to the depth of the ocean. I'm not nearly as kind as Jesus. <laughs> Don't send us out of the area. Do you understand the implication of that simple phrase? Wherever Jesus said go, they would go. Oh, they can buck and snort and kick and stomp and cuss and yell and holler and cut and everything else. But when Jesus shows up, just as he was, when he shows up, all bets are off. They will go wherever he says for them to go. And you and I, you will read in here, he gave that same power to his disciples. And his disciples have the same ability to show up, not in themselves, which was mentioned here today, but with the spirit of Christ in them to actually take control of situations, not with chains and not with guns and not with armor. David didn't take down Goliath with the, the armor of Saul and they tried it. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. And when you move in the name of Jesus, when you move in that space, there is the power of God just as it is. Just as he is. And freedom. You can send them. Just as he is. He frees a woman from a 12-year plague. And what's interesting is not just that. We're going to read it in a moment. He frees her from her suffering. The language that Mark uses is beautiful. He raises a dead daughter. He feeds thousands. He sees his disciples in another storm. He's literally praying and sends them off again 
and he sees them. The scripture says he sees them toiling. Does anybody need that message today? I'm grateful and I need to be reminded personally, not as the pastor of this church, but as a son of God, I need to be reminded personally that Jesus sees me toiling. He sees me struggling. He is watching me from the side of the shore on the lake that he sent me on. Don't let that be lost on you either. (laughs) He sends us into these storms. And he sees us. And he walks out to us. I pray that is encouraging. Not overwhelming, but encouraging. More than enough. Forever enough. Always enough. He delivers a Gentile girl from demonic possession. Let's look at chapter 7, verses 24. This is the Syrophoenician woman, the area of Tyre and Sidon. So uh, let's, use, let's just use this. This little area here is the Sea of Galilee. If this is the Sea of Galilee, Decapolis, the area of the Gadarenes, that's down southeast. Tyre and Sidon is up northwest. So it's all this ministry around the Sea of Galilee. And so he was with the demoniac down here. And then he goes up, basically diagonally across the Sea of Galilee, to this Gentile region of Tyre and Sidon. And this is where we pick up the story. Chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house, did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Jesus says, first let the children eat all they want. He told her it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And she says, verse 28, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. You know what's interesting about that? Hold that up there, Jeremy. Jesus just said it was done. Right? In the demoniac story, the guy in the tombs, They're like, why are you bothering us? And then it gives us the little backstory, right? Because Jesus said, come out of him. In this scenario, Jesus doesn't do anything. I don't know if he thought it. I don't know if he like went, I don't know what happened. But it simply says, you know what? For that reply, done. Done. And she goes and finds out that in that moment, done. That is the power of God that we are talking about. Listen, I love this church. I love you. I love coming together. I love singing and worship. And I love, I just like coming in here and listening to them practice. Like, I love the whole thing. But that's not enough. But Jesus is more than enough. This all is not enough. But this, come just as you are, Jesus, is more than enough. And it is very important. That we, individually and as a community of faith, step into these spaces of this kind of faith. This kind of faith. 
Because here's what we'd say. We're not, I mean, most of us in here are Gentile. Okay, I get it. But the application here is, yeah, but I'm not, I, I haven't always done right. Yeah, yeah, but my hands are dirty. Yeah, 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 but you don't know what I did this week. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not measuring up. I'm an outsider because of what I did. Or my faith is weak. Or I'm this, or I'm that, or I don't measure up, or I don't even know the books of the Bible, or I don't even own a Bible, or I haven't been here in two months, or whatever your thing is. And she gives us an example of something culturally that could kick her to the curb, except she says, yeah, Lord, but even the crumbs. Do you know what Jesus' crumbs do? Do you know what Jesus' crumbs do? Jesus' crumbs deliver from demonic spirits. Jesus' crumbs. You know the stuff, Melinda's been on a making bread tear for which I am thankful to God. She's been making like sesame bread and rye bread and all these wonderful Hawaiian breads and all these things that I'm pretending aren't doing anything to me. And the, the loaves of bread, honestly, we could flip an egg timer that's two hours and they're gone. Like the kids and I, they're just... And you know what we do? We cut those bread on that. You know what we do, though? None of us are like licking the countertop, right? You cut the big slices of bread, and there's some crumbs, and we're all just nicely. We throw those away. Can I ask you a question? Are you throwing, are you throwing Jesus crumbs away? Are we throwing Jesus' crumbs away? Because Jesus' crumbs deliver from demons. Jesus' crumbs get the job done. Jesus' crumbs. The very crumbs. And sometimes we don't feel worthy of them. You ready for this? You're not. I'm not. We don't have to have that conversation anymore. I'm not worthy of anything he's ever done for me. I'm worthy because he says so. I'm not worthy in myself. It's just like righteousness. I'm righteous because he says so. I'm not righteous because I'm righteous. I'm righteous because he says I'm righteous. I'm worthy because he says I'm worthy. We had a great conversation yesterday in Discovery about all of this. Great conversation about how we have to feel like we're a particular thing or this thing or doing that or that or all these different things. A guy came in here and took some pictures this week, and he and I had a conversation out in the parking lot before he left. He was heading back to Indianapolis, and we were talking about, I said, man, uh, shame. I'm not a big fan of shame. Really, I said, oh, yeah, this is the best place ever to have shame. He looked at me like, what? I said, the church is the best place ever to have shame. This is the Petri dish of shame, the church. Because it's so easy to be shamed because there's so many things and it's so easy to do regulations and all the rules and all the things. And let me just say this, it's so easy to fall short. And I reminded them a lot of times yesterday, the entire Old Testament exists to show me that I can't get it done. The entire Old Testament exists to show me that my best efforts fall short. That's the whole story. And that Jesus is more (laughs) than... Enough. Amen. So my question would be, are you rejected? Like this Gentile mother who found deliverance for her daughter? Are you you feeling, feeling rejected? Are you feeling ostracized? Like you should fit in, but you don't. You're on the edges. Ostracized like the, like the woman with the issue of blood. 
Do you find yourself in a place of no hope? Because you're going to read about that this week where Jairus, we're going to read about in a moment. He's walking with Jesus and gets a message while they're walking that the very reason he went to Christ is, can you heal my daughter? And as they're going there, the word comes. The hopeless word comes. Don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. But Jesus, just as he was, is more than enough. Are you in a situation with no precedent of deliverance? When did anybody ever stand on the bow of a boat and calm a storm? Did Elijah do that? Did you read about that in the Old Testament? Was that a Samuel thing? David, all of his exploits, did he ever stand up and calm a storm? And again, 65 square miles, which is like, you know, 8 by 8, 10, 10 by 6, you know, something like that, right? It, that, it's, a, it's a decent little plot of, plot of ground, plot of land, right? It says it was completely calm. Not just the moment. We all know how storms work, don't we? Storm off the coast, coast is getting hammered with waves, right? There's this reciprocal effect. Not when Jesus is there. When he says calm, guess what happens? Calm. So I want to look at chapter 5. As We round out today. I want to take us back to chapter 5, which I referenced. I told, us, I told you we'd, we'd get in here. In verse 21, that story of Jairus and the story of the woman, I just want to share that with us for a quick minute. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, so this is a Jewish ruler, named Jairus, came there. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. What did he ask her to do? I'm sorry, what did he ask him to do? Come with me, and what? Touch her. Jesus, I have faith for you to come with me. And I have faith for you to come with me and touch her, because that's what had been done. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Mark is one of the authors that identify that there's this huge press of people, right? It is like this massive amount of people that are bumping around together and jostling and Jesus is in the center. And you see the disciples around, they're all kind of making their way through. It's like 515 Boston subway. You know, you're like trying to get off the train. They're all trying to work their way through. A woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. So, this is a, you have to think about this, this is a a menstrual bleeding for 12 years. That's what's going on here. It wasn't like I had a hangnail and it's kind of inconvenient, you know. Nor is it just simply, oh my God, a 12 year period, help us Jesus. (laughs) Not just that. Not just the inconvenience of that, either. Let me tell you what this is. It financially ruined her. Financially ruined her. She spent all that she had. Now, who cares? What's the big deal? Why in the world would you spend all that you have for something like that? 
because there were cultural implications. A woman with an issue of blood was considered unclean. And when you're considered unclean, you are isolated. There's a book, maybe you've read it, it's 15, 20 years old, I guess. It's called The Red Tent. It's a story about the women of this culture. And during this time, every month they would go, and all the women would gather in this red tent. They were isolated. They were considered unclean. Why would you spend all the money on that? Because you are now by yourself. You are disjointed from community. The things we value, connection, 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 not happening because you're unclean. Now, if she is unclean, which she is and isolated, she'll never be married. Not like that. The door for her to be married, which in this culture, that was the only way the woman is to be provided for, either by her father or by her husband. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to be an independent woman. Watch out. Negatory. Not one of the options. So this issue of blood wasn't just inconvenient. It cost her. It isolated her. It disconnected her. She was unable to be married. If she was married, it was grounds for divorce. They would not be allowed to come together. She couldn't even be in the same room with her husband. Unclean. Get the picture? When she heard about Jesus, verse 27, she came up behind him in the crowd. She touched his cloak. She thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from what? Yes. Isn't he more than enough? Not just healing, but free. She felt it. Anybody? Feel it in your body. When you're free from suffering, you're free. Like you get it. You can't draw a map of it. You don't understand it. You probably couldn't even support it with scripture. You'd be struggling to find something. But you know that you know that you know something just happened. Something just happened. And I'm free. Oh, man. Just as he was. This Savior that we sing about, this Jesus that we talk about, he is more than enough. And once Jesus realized the power has gone out from him, he turns around in the crowd. Who touched my clothes? You see, people were crowding against his disciples answered. And you're going to ask who touched you? They were like, what? There's people like bumping all over you. And you're going to ask who touched you? Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, isn't that beautiful? Knowing what had happened to her. Came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is my one time in the year that I will take a passage from the book of Numbers. So I'm glad you were here to experience this. Numbers 19. Throw that up there, man. Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean. That's the law. That's the rules. Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean. Do you know the implications for that? The woman was broke, financially decimated, 
isolated, unconnected, either unwed or divorced, on her own, and she gets the idea. Jairus' idea was, Lord, you come touch my daughter. Somebody need this for faith this morning? Because the Lord's talking to me this week that you do. The Lord talked to me this week. Somebody needs this right here, right now. Wish I could tell you who you are, because I just tell you who you are. Jairus had faith for what had been done. This woman was working in a whole new plane. She came up with this somehow, that he doesn't have to touch me. Because I'm unclean, but I can touch him. I can touch him. The Numbers 19 tells us. Every person, anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean. Do you know the implications of that? What was Jesus like by himself sitting in a chair isolated on a porch? Where was he? He was in a crowd. Big crowd. Crowd bustling together. Remember Boston Subway? Remember that? Woman working her way through. Have you ever considered that every single person she touched as she bumped against them and jostled against them was unclean? Every single person, including Christ, she touched him. Except he's more than enough. What we think makes us unclean, what we read about makes us unclean, when you're talking about Jesus, doesn't make us unclean. Amen. The stuff that we think taints us, and you're going to read about this, and it's the story of the Gentile woman, this Syrophoenician woman in Tyre and Sidon with the baby and the, the crumbs and all that business. Right before that, Jesus gives this message to them. He said, what is wrong with you guys? It's not the food that goes into your body that defiles you. It's the stuff that comes out that defiles you. You've got it backwards. You've got it completely wrong. And that's what we discussed for weeks in the book of Matthew, right? Jesus just says, I know you've always seen it like this. It's, that's not it. That's not it. I know it says that if an unclean person touches me, I'm unclean, but I'm Jesus. <laughs> I made the rule. Hello? I don't submit to the rule. We don't serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. You can walk in a different space because he's more than enough. You can do that. Every person she touched was unclean. Touching Jesus, he's unclean. And it differs from the faith of Jairus. Because Jairus had faith on what was done. But God is calling someone today to have faith in a space that you honestly don't think is possible. Calling you to have faith in a space that you honestly have no precedent for. Except that just as he is, he is more than enough. This woman, how many times have we read this story and heard this story? She presses through. She touches him. And he doesn't even know what happened. Except he knows something happened. He's like, I just felt virtue pour out of me. Doesn't that light a fire under anybody else? To want to hit an altar and pray? To want to like walk around a house or walk around a building or walk up a street or go into place you... Doesn't anybody else? Because it fires me up. I'm like ready to walk in a room when I'm frustrated and beat down and knocked around and all the toiling and all that other mess. 
and then I see it for what it is, I want to walk in and start speaking. I want to walk in and start walking in unprecedented places because he is with me. And the unction of the power of the Holy Spirit that we have, not religion, Jesus. She says, I'm going to touch him. And when she does, power flows. To not only meet her physical need, but heal her suffering. Heal her heart. Because Jesus is more He does exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. Do you believe that? Do you believe he does it for you? Do you believe he can do it for you in that thing that you don't think he can do it for you? Do you believe he can do it for you in that thing that you don't think he can do it for you? That thing that maybe there's not a precedent? Let me tell you how this works, and I hope it works for us here today. I think of Roger Bannister is actually who I think of. Roger Bannister. The woman with the issue of blood and Roger Bannister. Never been preached before in the history of the church. Anybody know who Roger Bannister was? He was a British British runner. May 6th, 1954. May 6th, 1954, what did he do? First man to break the four-minute mile. 1954. People had just started running uh, in 1950. Right? Thousands and thousands of years and nobody broke a four-minute mile? Nobody. That's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure there was some little Spartan dude somewhere that, like, trucked it to Rome or something. I don't know. Athens. But nobody counted. 1954 breaks the four-minute mile. Do you know that 46 days later... His record was broken. What? That's both the power of humanity and the limitations of humanity. Are you hearing me? I'm about done. That's both a representation of the power of humanity and the limitations of humanity. We can't knock our way out of a paper bag until somebody does it first. And then once they do it, bring on the paper bags. Here we go. A month and a half, we are talking decades, if not centuries, of a world where no one broke the four-minute mile until someone did. And then a month and a half later, someone else did. And a year later, three people broke the four-minute mile in the same single race. Over 4,000 people have broken a four-minute mile. Both the power of humanity and the limitations of humanity. This woman did something unprecedented. Let's close. Uh, Arnett, come on up. Chapter 6, verse 56. See, wherever he went, villages, towns, countryside, they placed their sick in the marketplaces. What I'm about to read, you've never read before, never happened before. They begged him 
to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. The woman does that in chapter 5. And one chapter later, it's now the new normal. Everybody's bringing people to Jesus. And they're not asking him, Lord, please touch us. They're saying, we now know that we can touch you. And if we will touch the hem of your garment, if we will touch your coat, your cloak, just brush against the back of your jacket. Every one of us fall into one category or the other on this. Every one of us. We're either pre-1954 or post-1954. And in our walk with God, we're either pre-Roger Bannister, still needing somebody to bust open the paper bag so we can get some faith here. Or we read what we read. And we recognize that someone has touched. And she did stuff that was against the law. Against the ceremonial law. She said, I got to touch him. Does anybody else have that? Does anybody else have a need in here that strong? A need that big? A need that we've got to touch him. Got to touch him. And he's willing. He is standing on that shore and he is looking across that lake, and he is seeing people toil. It's not unknown to him. We're not informing him. Man, as soon as I, I'm ready for prayer folks, come on up, you folks that were praying with people. And if you folks that are praying with people need to have someone pray with you, be that person as well, right? If you're in a space where you're like, frankly, I want to be prayed for first. Great. We move into these places. of prayer and trust and faith and belief, giving those things to the Lord. We're not informing God. Are we? Man, I can't wait to get over here to Dan and tell Dan what I need so Dan can tell God what I need so we can get this thing done. That wasn't cute filler. We live that way sometimes. Two things. If I can just get God to know, and then if I can just get God to be willing to do. If God was only as compassionate as I am, we could get some things done around here. He loves far greater than all of us. Which isn't a shame for however we felt, but a recognition of, you know what? I'm going to take some things to the Lord. I'm going to take some things to the one that is more than enough. I am going to take some situations, and I am going to take some relationships, and I am going to take some needs, and I am going to push through a crowd. And if because I'm a woman and ostracized and whatever that means culturally today for us, I get pushed to the side, no problem, I'm pushing through. I am finding that space with Jesus. I am going to speak 
those things of deliverance, this is going to become supernatural in a hurry. Not just religious, not just structured, not just format, but supernatural in a hurry. Would you stand with me? I want us to pray. If you need to go, thank you for being here today. No, no issues at all. It's 11.30. I want you to be able to have the flexibility to, to go. But I also want that part to be done and us to have a space to be in his presence. I don't do this every week. Some weeks we just close and walk out. Today is not one of those weeks. So we are going to be in this space to pray. He is going to sing and the anointed psalmist is going to lead us and I say that with all sincerity. He is going to lead us and things will break and open and move. Not just the healing, but the suffering. Not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. And when it's hopeless, and the word is that your daughter's already dead, Jesus looks at him and says, just believe, my friend. Just hang in here, because I'm more than enough, pal. Just hang in here, brother. And the man did, and his sweet daughter was put back in his hands. Sing it, man. Please come pray. Please connect with folks up front. Join folks. Agree together for freedom, for salvation, for healing. Come to the Lord in your way. Knock it out of space. Father, bring deliverance. Father, bring freedom and healing. Let it be said. Forever enough. Always enough. More than enough. More than enough. More than enough. God, bring freedom and liberty. God, bring freedom and liberty. God, bring freedom and liberty. You're pushing through your crowd right where you are. You come to the front, you can pray with other people around the room. But you're pushing through your crowd. You're pushing through your space. You're defining. You're defining a place. You're defining a place of recovery. You're defining a place of miracles. Making a new path. Let virtue be released, Father. Jesus.